So, one of the things that we want to be doing too is praying. And so I just want to encourage you as you're hearing God's word this morning, that you're also praying for, uh, for the women that are out at the women's retreat. And uh, Shannon Todd has been speaking this weekend, and so I just want to encourage you to be praying for her as well. Um, and as you're prompted to pray for me, as, as I'm preaching this morning, I want to encourage you to also be prompted to pray for Shannon as she's teaching out uh, at the women's retreat and as they're wrapping things up this morning. But over the past uh, few years, uh, there are a few phrases that have become quite popular in culture. One of those phrases is living your truth or living your best life. And they've really become quite popular. They're, you hear people saying it on TV, you hear people saying it on radio, you hear people saying, uh, I hear people when uh, I'm just hanging around in, in different places, they'll talk about, oh, you got to live your truth. And the phrase always bugs me, and it's an interesting thing because truth is truth, right? And it's not defined by the person, it's defined by the fact that it's true. But one blog described it this way. It says, what does it mean to live my best life? It means to live up to my potential. Living up to my potential means doing the things I hope to do someday, now, instead of putting them off for some magical time in the future. Life is temporary, and I don't want to wait to feel fulfilled. It's a commitment to myself and what really matters to me. Authentic living means I am always asking myself what is working and what is not and acting accordingly. In essence, the purpose of living your truth or living your best life is actually oneself. That's how it's just been defined. Living for yourself. I don't want to wait to feel fulfilled. It's a commitment to myself and what really matters to me. Interestingly enough, those same blogs, those same writers that are writing about this terminology, trying to give ways to live your truth and live your best life, are already saying that what they're doing isn't satisfying. And so self has already failed to satisfy. And this is the reason that they're looking for something more, and they're simply left with what they started with which is themselves, which is also destined to continue to fail. So this morning as we look at the first part of 1 Samuel 14, God has called us to live for something greater than ourselves. He's called us to live for him and his purpose. And it's in living for him and his purpose that we'll experience the fulfillment of his will and reveal his glory to a world that desperately needs him, not themselves. So let's go ahead and stand this morning as we look at 1 Samuel 14. We're going to be looking at the first 25 verses. Sorry, the first 23 verses. I think your notes say 25, but it should be the 23 verses. And here's what it says. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. 
but he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sinai. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him and that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within as it were half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. And the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who is gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at the time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who'd gone up with him into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit to bring forth your word to reveal it to us so that we might have understanding. Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. That God, that we would hear your word to us today. Father, may it not come through 
through filtered lenses with closed hearts, but God, may it come through open hearts with your eyes. Lord God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would bring your word in power. And I just ask that your spirit would come before us and Lord, that your, your spirit would continue to work on us and to move in us and to reveal more of you to us. Father, as we look at your word today, we think of the women as well. We pray that you would empower the word that's being taught there and empower the word that's being brought in the other churches that are proclaiming your word this morning. And may your purpose and may your mission be fulfilled. May we be a church that brings you glory as we seek you and your will first. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Living on mission in the confidence of God enables the fulfillment of his purpose through us, bringing glory to him in the supernatural work of his salvation. Living on mission in the confidence of God enables the fulfillment of his purpose through us, bringing glory to him in the supernatural work of his salvation. God's mission fulfilled bringing glory. That's the essence of his mission. That his mission is designed to bring him glory. It's not about us, it's about him. And so in verse 1, Jonathan, it says, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Now, last week we spent some time looking at faith and what this faith, what having faith and walking in faith reveals about God. And at the end of that text, what we saw was is that Saul had actually turned against, he had actually gone and performed the sacrifices that were only for the priest, and he had rejected the commandment of God, and so he meets with Samuel, Samuel tells him he's done this foolish thing, and that now his kingdom will be rejected, and Samuel departs, and he goes one way, and Saul goes back to his army. And he finds that no longer are there thousands of men or 3,000 men, but now there are simply 600. And when they go to camp, we're told that as they went there in Gibeah, it says, and the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah and the land of Shual. Another company turned towards Bethoron. And another company turned toward the border that looked down on the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. And then we're told there at the end of chapter 13 that the only ones in the Israelite army that have weapons are Saul and Jonathan. And so the Israel army goes into a place of hiding. 
And Jonathan, one with a weapon, but a man of faith, says to his armor bearer, come up with me. Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Now notice, Jonathan understands the mission. The mission that Israel has been given is to defeat the Philistines. Time and time again, they've been shown that it's not about the size of their army, but it is about their faithfulness to God that allows for victory. Even in that, God continues to display his mercy when they're not being faithful. Now what we're seeing here in chapter 14 is really a culmination of what we've seen up to this point. Because Jonathan actually walks in what he knows to be true about God. He's not living from experience to experience, looking at the factors in front of him to say whether or not he can do and fulfill the plan that God has, but rather he's looking at how God has been and how he continues to be, and he's trusting in that rather than what he sees. Up to this point, God has been revealing himself so that they might grow in understanding and grow in faith. Now, Jonathan understands that the king in chapter 8 was tasked with going ahead and to fight the battles. But notice where the king is. His father, Saul, was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. He's hiding. He's sitting in there. And it says there that the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah. Now Ahijah, the son of Aitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. This seems like a random, kind of out of the place piece of the scripture. But here's what's going on. Samuel has left Saul because Saul has disobeyed God. The priest that was to go before him, that was to provide divine direction, is no longer with him. So here's what he does. He goes and he grabs another priest. And he takes Ahijah and he brings him into the cave with him. And what it's important to know about Ahijah is Ahijah is out of a lineage line of priests who have been rejected by God because of their lack of faithfulness and wickedness. In fact, if you remember, Ichabod, who is his brother... Ichabod's name literally means the glory has departed. Phineas, the corrupt son of Eli. This is who Ahiza is the son of. And so Saul goes into the cave and he brings Ahiza, believing that in some way just having a priest following this religious practice will bring divine direction. Well, what's the point of the ephod? Well, the ephod throughout the Old Testament is where the Urim and the Thummim is actually placed. It's a sign of the priest seeking divine direction from God. 
So the point is here is that Saul seems to be in this cave seeking what is the will of God with a priest who has been rejected by God. But it doesn't matter because as long as you have the right pieces, it should all be okay, right? Well, here's the difference. Here's the contrast. Throughout this text, we're going to see a contrast between the son of Saul and Saul himself. The faithful one and the faithless one. See, Jonathan doesn't have to be told what the mission is because the mission has already been given to Israel. Saul is acting as if he doesn't know what the mission is, tempting to seek the Lord, and is hiding in comfort and security. Now here's another piece of the story that's really interesting. It says that within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sinai. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michpash and the other on the south in front of Geba. So Bozes means slippery and Sinai means thorny. So here's what they're saying. Jonathan decides to take on a task that just getting to the mission is one that he's in danger. That nobody really is able to to go through this pass, and yet Jonathan and his armor bearer are going to go through the slippery crag and the thorny crag. They've completely set their own security and comfort aside. Saul's hiding in a cave with a rejected priest trying to understand the will of God. And yet the will of God has already been told to them. I think sometimes in our lives we can actually be there as well, can't we? On the one hand we say we want the will of God and yet on the other hand we kind of sit idly in the comfort and security of our own place, our own home, our surroundings. But the truth is that Jesus has given a mission to his church as well. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the same way, Christ has given a purpose to his church. There's times when we seek the will of God to know if God is moving us from one job to the next or one location to the next. And there are times that we seek His direction and understanding of how to make certain decisions. That's not the purpose that God's talking about here. What He's saying is, I've given a mission to my church or I've given a mission to my people and that mission is clear. Jonathan was clear about the mission. Christ has been clear about his mission for us. That his desire is that we might live on mission. Luke 4, 
verse 43, and I just want to encourage you to note this passage down because this is what he says in Luke 4, verse 43. It's a simple word, but it confirms this. This is Jesus talking. He said, I must preach the good news, the kingdom of God, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus, who is the basis of the gospel, who goes to death for our sin, and God raises him from the dead on the third day, defeating the power of sin and granting victory and life in him, also is proclaiming the good news. 1 Peter 2.15 tells us something. It also tells us about God's will for us. It says this. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Sometimes in our conservativeness as followers of Christ... We become afraid to move. And what God is saying is he's saying, listen, this is the will of God. Throughout his word, he tells us numerous times, this is the will of God. We can know what the will of God is. And so even when we go take another job or we move someplace else, the will of God has not changed. The purpose of God, his mission has not changed. The real question is, is is this where God wants me to fulfill his mission now? I think too often we look at our circumstances and we think about what's going to bring us the most security and the most comfort and the most safety. And then we figure out afterwards if God's going to have us on mission in this place. But Jonathan starts by saying, I know the mission. You've put me here. Let me start living on mission now. At the heart of his decision-making, at the heart of his life, is first moving and understanding the mission and being willing to say, I'm going to get out of my security. I'm going to get out of my comfort. I'm going to get out of my safety. I'm going to get out of all the things that in my life seem to, to bring me the things that I can find within myself that are unsatisfying and insecure and I'm going to serve God. And so what we have in this text really is a portrait of one that is living on mission. A portrait of one who is living on mission for God. And so in verse 6 through 7 it says this, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. The first thing is he's determined in his heart to pursue God's will. If we're going to live on mission for God, it starts with us determining in our heart to pursue God's will. There has to be a determination that this is the one that we are going to serve. Jonathan said, listen, I'm going over. 
In fact, I'm not going to go to my father in the cave and even tell him that I'm coming, but I'm going to go over. And he's determined in his heart to pursue the will of God. I think sometimes one of the dangers within the contemporary church is that because of the way that we teach, which is more compartmentalized at times, we tend to separate God's mission from our walk with God. And yet what God desires is that they're all one. That our heart for Christ is a heart for His mission. A heart for Christ is a heart that loves Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. A heart for Christ is one that loves our neighbor as ourself. And loving our neighbor as ourself is giving our neighbor the very best of what we have to offer, which for the follower of Christ is Christ. And so loving our neighbor as ourself isn't just about going next door and meeting them and isn't just about providing a stick of butter. It's about intentionally seeking opportunities to bring the gospel in their life, to share the gospel in their life. And so we have to be determined in our heart. I've listened to Christians just over the last probably 25 years of being in ministry say, you know, I really don't have a heart for evangelism. We're misunderstanding then our faith because God is not compartmentalizing his heart. And so we have to be determined in our heart. It may mean that God has to renew our heart. In my own life, that's what it meant. Was taking a heart that was disgruntled and frustrated with people. And when God renewed my heart and mind, began to give me a love for people. It's a desire for the gospel to go forward, but more than that, it's a desire to fulfill the will of God, that his will is greater than our will. The church overseas right now in China is thriving. And it's thriving because the church is not able to remain in comfort. We're blessed in the United States to worship together on a Sunday morning without persecution. But at times, that has the potential to breed apathy. And our comfort and our security can actually take precedence over the will of God. If God were to say, I want you to stay here because my work for you is here, would you stay? If God had you dealing with situations by which you were uncomfortable and that you didn't like, but his mission for you was here, would you stay? 
If God were to say, I want you to sell every possession and I want you to sell or or cash out your retirement and I want you to go to Zimbabwe and I want you to serve there because that's where I have you on mission, would you do it? Would you do it knowing that there's no retirement? Would you do it knowing that your physical life might be in jeopardy? Would you do it because there's no bathrooms? See, Jonathan determined in his heart to pursue God's will. And Joshua says this in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. He asked that question, and it's a challenge to each of us because he says this, He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity, that means in your heart, and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Have you determined in your heart who you're going to serve? I'm always intrigued, and I remember growing up, it was always important to me growing up to know who was a follower of Christ. And I, I, I watched that with my boys growing up, that they were, my, my kids, my daughter too, that were, they were the same thing, were they were always amazed you know, when a star at the end of like getting an Academy Award would say, you know, thank you, Lord. I want to say, thank my Lord, you know. I want to thank God. And there's this hopefulness. And then you, you look and you look at their lives and you go, wait a second. I don't think that they, they really know Jesus. The truth is, is that we need not be the people who simply express a love for God by following religion or the religious practices, but God, we need to honor God by walking it out in faith with a heart that is determined to serve Him. Why is He able to do this? Why is Jonathan able to move forward, determined in his heart to pursue God's will? Because it tells us It tells us that the Lord will work, he may work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He acknowledges God's sovereignty. And so his confidence is in God's sovereignty, not his ability, not his security, not his safety, not his comfort, but his confidence is in the sovereignty of God to work out his will. The second aspect then is that we're to, Seek a sign of God's intentions through active faith. You see, Jonathan sought a sign of God's intentions through active faith. In verse 8 through 12, it says this, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, Then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. Here's what this is not saying. 
it's not saying that he just kind of randomly threw something out and said, God, you got to do this. It's actually not an example here of what Gideon did. He may have had some things in mind where Gideon threw a fleece and said, listen, God, if you deal with this, then I'm going to know your will. But in some ways, what he does here is he basically says, I'm going to act. I'm going to act on faith, not recklessly, but in faith. See, Jonathan and his armor bearer were between the rocky crags. An army couldn't get through the rocky crags. And so by going up and forward and through that, he's making himself known. He's not being reckless, but he's basically saying, listen, if you open this door, I'm going to go through it. This is a sign to us that victory is near. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, and I want to encourage you to write this down, Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That by testing you will discern what is the will of God. See, Jonathan is able to seek a sign from God because he's relying on his faithfulness. His confidence is in God's faithfulness. That God will not forsake him. Repeatedly, God has told them that he's not going to forsake him. And so Jonathan doesn't go up recklessly But he does step out in faith. There is an active faith or an actionable faith. Sometimes we sit back and we we wait for God's will and we're going, Lord, you're not showing us anything. And what God's saying is take a couple steps forward here. Put yourself in the situation where you can come and share my truth with others. And if I open the door, come forward. And if I don't, step back into the crag. When God opens those doors, as we're seeking Him, it gives us confidence to step through because God is faithful. It doesn't always mean that we're going to be safe. It means that he's faithful. That he is faithful to carry out his word and in his faithfulness he is good. One commentator put it this way, analogy for us today might be for us to ask in prayer for an opening to our ministry or our witness. Being eager to see God's hand in our early success and being ready to leap into opportunities that God provides. Jonathan's sign amounted to a prayer that the Lord would give him a military advantage, and by expecting God's help, he was ready to act boldly when it came. Ever find yourself pray that God would lead somebody to Christ and then be like, Lord, please don't use me? Ever been there? 
my own life. Like, God, I, I want that person to know Christ, but I don't want to be the guy doing that. Right? Ever pray, and as you're finishing up your prayer in your own mind, you're going, I'm not even sure if God can do this. Like, that guy's never going to turn. The truth is, is that when we seek the Lord for that sign, we need to expect that he is going to answer. And we need to be ready to respond when we're praying that God might bring salvation to a specific person, we need to be ready to respond when that person comes to us. I know in my own life, the number of times I've asked for opportunities to share faith, and then when a person comes to me, as I'm out someplace or in public or at a coffee shop, I'm caught off guard by it. How many of us are caught off guard? Because we're not expecting God to bring that person into our presence. Jonathan was ready. And he said, listen, if God responds in this way, we're going forward because he's given them into our hand. And he responds that way because God is faithful. So it starts with this determined heart. And then it's seeking a sign of God's intention. This is discernment knowing whether to move forward or stop. Listen, God may offer an opportunity for you to share your faith, but that does not mean that it is you who is bringing the person to salvation. God is the one who is doing the work on their heart, leading them into understanding. My job is not to bludgeon them or even to try to convince them to respond. My job is to share the truth and to encourage, to answer questions where they arise. But we don't want to be the ones convincing people into faith. Because that will be temporary. It's when God convinces people. And he is the only one who can convince people. Because he is the only one who opens the eyes of truth. John 6.44 tells us this one thing about God. And it tells us about our salvation in this. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God is the initiator of our relationship with him. So, we're determined in our heart. We seek a sign for God's intention, and then we see here Jonathan, he immediately responds to confirmation of God's direction. He immediately responds to confirmation of God's direction. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We saw that, if you recall, with the Israelites as they were wandering in the desert and they were told to go through the land. And when they saw the giants in the land, they said, we're not doing this. And then they make up their mind after seeing that they should have done it. They say, let's go do it now. And then they try to do it, and without the power of God, are slaughtered. And the Israelites wander in the desert for another 40 years. 
You see, God desires for us to respond in obedience when he confirms his direction. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. God works when we respond, when we respond with obedience. He's faithful to work. Hebrews 10 tells us this. It says this specifically about our obedience. In verse 32 through 38, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Here's the thing. God is the source of victory. Their confidence is the fact that God is the source of victory. The reason that we can respond right away is that God is the source of our victory. We don't have to fear because God is the source of victory. When God leads us to proclaim the good news of Jesus, when He leads us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations... baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching His commands and obedience to those commands? We don't have to fear because God's the one doing the work. His point is this. If you're going to live on mission, We need to realize that God is the one that's doing the work. The reason that we can walk out and live on mission for God every single day is because God is sovereign and because he's faithful and because he's the source of our victory, not ourselves. I've been amazed the number of times that I can't find the right words to say in sharing my faith with somebody. And the Lord still brings them understanding of his truth. Why? Because it's in spite of me. Because he is the one doing the work. Sometimes we just want to have the right words. And what I would say is that we need to trust that God is the one that has the right words. John Knox said this, and I love it because it's so simple. One man with God is always in the majority. One man with God is always in the majority. Richard Phillips adds this. He says, so it was for Jonathan, one man accompanied by only one comrade, but aided by the thunder of Almighty God, 
routed a vast host set against his people. When we live on mission, we are the majority. Because one man with God is the majority. And what we see here then is this contrast to Saul. Saul, who is still standing by, looking over the ridge, seeing the Philistines scatter, not knowing that anybody had even left, but this isn't anybody, this is his son. The only other one with a weapon. You would think that would be known. But Saul has no idea that his son is gone, and when he finds out As he sees the Philistines scattering, it still does not register with Saul that the Philistines are scattering because God is at work. And so Saul immediately calls for the ark of God. God's already present and working. And Saul still calls for the ark. And as the battle gets worse, as the Philistines begin to scatter even more and the army looks like it's battling on the hilltop, Ahijah, the priest, is praying. And Saul becomes panicked and says, we better do something. Stop praying. Let's go. See, Saul should have been moving forward already. He knew the mission of God. And he should have gone in faith. But he was hiding in a cave, protecting himself under the guise of religious practices. Then when the battle begins to wage, when God is already at work, he should have known that God was already near. And his focus should have been one of seeking the Lord in prayer rather than telling them to stop and coming down the hill. And when he gets down the hill, he finds that the Philistines are in utter confusion and they are simply attacking themselves. From this, the Hebrews that were aligned with the Philistines, they too come down and they join with the Israelites and those who were hiding in the rocks and the caves come out and join. When we live on mission, we live on mission as the body of Christ, there is unity. And faith not religious practice. Faith, not religious practice, is the foundation of his saving mission and glorifies God. Faith. See, Saul was clinging to religious practice as his kingdom is dwindling, it's been rejected by God. He's clinging to the religious practice which does not save. But Jonathan is walking by faith. One man who steps out, who steps out in faith, knowing the true mission of God. An armor bearer who is committed to him, that is following, that continues to step behind him as he's walking in faith. And what starts out as a man and his armor bearer becomes an entire nation of Israel. 
You see, when we live on mission, as we live by faith, God's saving work is revealed and He is glorified. He is glorified. And in that, we have a life. A life that is fulfilled through His work, not through the work of our own. God has simply invited us to join in on His purpose. And so it is. The question for us, that conclusion Where are our hearts today? Have we decided to serve him only and to serve his mission only? Or are we seeking security and comfort and safety in the things that this life has to offer? May it be our prayer today that as individuals and as a part of the corporate body here as Redemption Hill Church, may we be a church that is committed to living on mission, determined in our heart to pursue the will of God, seeking Him for His intention and immediately obeying when he reveals his direction. May we live by faith and the confidence of who Christ is so that he might be glorified, not us. Let's pray. Father, as we wrestle with this question in our own spirit, I pray that you would Make it clear in our own life what you want to do. I pray that you would make it clear where we're at. Some days we're both feet in, some days we're halfway out, some days we're not in at all, all the time we're not in, all the time we're in. Or whatever it may be, may you make it clear to us. May you show us, Lord, where our hearts are really at. Encourage us, Lord, if we're walking on mission. Convict us, Lord, if there's areas that need to still be submitted to you. For those who may not know you, may you reveal the truth of you to them. And may they see their need for you right now. And may we be a church that fulfills your purpose as you work in us through faith. May you sift our hearts today and we ask this in your name. Amen.